If a person is on medication, it's almost a guarantee they're just not going to get rid of their diabetes. When a person goes on a plant-based diet without a lot of added oils, they're now tackling the cause. And we see something that we never saw before, which is diabetes sometimes going away. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries and in healthy cities coast to coast. North Platte, Nebraska, Portland, Maine, Coos Bay, Oregon. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 25 of season 5, number 324 overall. And today we're going to be getting you some help for diabetes. We are going to be discovering the best foods for lowering blood sugar and possibly even reversing diabetes altogether when we are joined by Dr. Neil Barnard. But before we get to that, I wanted to share some numbers with you. Did you know that an estimated 37 million people in the United States right now have diabetes? That is more than 11% of the entire population, and the rates for diabetes only climb higher as we get older. And what's more, there are millions of others who have diabetes but have no clue. They are literally walking around with blood sugar that is raging dangerously out of control because they haven't been diagnosed. So that's a big problem, but then the question is, what can be done about it? And what foods can help improve blood sugar naturally? And what's the likelihood that they can fully reverse diabetes? And perhaps most importantly to some, how effective is diet compared to medication when it comes to treating diabetes? Those answers in just a moment. Also today, we will be opening up the doctor's mailbag to answer questions from the exam roomies who joined us for the live show. Questions like, how quickly can a plant-based diet lower blood sugar levels? And talking about fruit and fiber and carbs and specifically oatmeal and rice. How do they all factor into improving blood sugar? And fasting, could that also help? We're going to find out. And can you, in fact, reverse diabetes and lower your blood pressure at the same time by doing the same thing? Dr. Barnard has that answer as well. Plus, we're going to be talking about a really kind of a sad study that came out showing the insane number of kids right now who have developed pre-diabetes. And you're going to hear Dr. Barnard say that this is not just a disease for the over 40 crowd anymore. But then we're also going to be talking about if you give kids healthier options, you might be surprised at what happens. And we have some specific examples to back that up. But we can't let this train pull out of the station without first saying thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the Exam Room Podcast and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs today and make this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. 
and now it is time for the train to pull out of the station. So let's raise our health IQs and lower our blood sugar too. My friend, good to see you again. Good to see you, Chuck. Diabetes is such a huge topic, and I know that we always get so much feedback from the exam roomies whenever we talk about it, and it's no surprise to me that that happens given the fact that 11% of the population here in the States has diabetes at the moment. The numbers, yes, and the numbers were not always like that. It has been going up and up and up and up, and, and the, the big tragedy is we used to say this was mostly a disease of people over 40. Well, now you can be 14. 15, 16, 17, we're starting to see it at these earlier ages. So it's, it's great that we're going to be spending some time on this. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk just a little bit about a study that looks about just the soaring rates of prediabetes among kids. But I want to start today's show with a question from Lee who wrote in. Lee was just recently diagnosed with diabetes herself. And she says she doesn't want to be on medication for the rest of her life. She's wondering what she can do. And so her question is, what foods can help lower blood sugar and possibly even reverse diabetes? It's such a great question. It's the most important question really of all. And you're going to get different answers depending on who you talk to. And the old fashioned approach said, well, diabetes means there's too much sugar in your blood. So don't eat sugar and don't eat things like bread that will digest to release sugar. And you can understand why people would say that because the more of those things you eat, the higher your blood sugar goes. Here's the important point though. None of that stuff is the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem is something completely different. Normally, your muscle cells take sugar out of the blood. Why? Because muscles use sugar like, a, I mean, that's their gasoline. That's their fuel. That's what allows your muscles to work. Your brain, same story. Your brain uses sugar to, to fuel it. Um, your liver. And, and the problem is that let's say we've been eating a lot of fatty stuff, cheese sandwiches and meat and other you know, dairy products, and that kind of stuff. The fat from these foods gets into the muscle cells, and when the cells fill, fill up with fat, we call it intramyocellular lipid, then your insulin can't get the sugar into the cell. So the problem wasn't so much eating sugar, and, and it really wasn't the, the problem of eating carbohydrates that digest to sugar. The problem was that our cells are filled with fat particles that cause insulin to not work anymore. So what are the best foods, to answer your question, what are the best foods to eat? Fruits? whole grains, beans, vegetables, and throw out the animal products completely. Keep oils really, really low. Over time, what happens is the fat from the cells starts to dissipate. They can then take the sugar out of the blood. Diabetes improves. In some cases, it even goes away. And when you work, you begin to eat that way with those kinds of foods. I think that naturally what we've seen and, and the guests that we've spoken to here on the show, they see improvement, not just with their blood sugar, but with so many other chronic conditions, uh, even hypertension. Uh, we have a question here from Wendell at 1201, who's wondering what foods can help lower your blood pressure along with the blood sugar. Okay, great. Um, those same foods that I mentioned are going to start bringing blood pressure down for, for two reasons. One is because they help you lose weight. And as your weight comes down, your blood pressure comes down along with it. The other thing is the, all these foods, they're not greasy foods, you know, fruits and grains and beans and vegetables, they're not greasy. So what that means is that your blood isn't getting a big infusion of grease like it would if you ate a cheese sandwich or a pork chop. The grease from those foods causes your blood to get thicker and that makes your blood pressure go up. 
So uh, the same plant-based foods that I mentioned for lowering blood sugar will also lower blood pressure. And I can hear you screaming. There's one other thing we haven't talked about, and that's sodium. Keep sodium levels low. Where is sodium? Sodium is added to snack foods, and it is a big ingredient in cheese. If you needed one more reason, get away from cheese. Sodium is one. Now, if you get away from that, the, the sodium, your blood pressure will drop even more. Quick roll call here. DJ is tuning in today from upstate New York. Janice is in Canada. And Denise says that this is her first time being able to join us live, but she always listens to the recording. So Denise, I'm glad that you're here today because this is really an important topic. And Dr. Barnard mentioned here at the top of the show, just the, the study that just came out and was talking about just how many more kids now have prediabetes. You said that this wasn't just a disease now for people over 40. We're seeing this in younger and younger people here. So what what is this latest study telling us as far as the numbers here? Are they in fact soaring? Uh, the numbers are quite concerning. Yeah, in they reported from in 1999, the percentage of young people, I'm talking about 12, age 12 to 19, who had pre-diabetes, meaning their blood sugar was inching up, but not quite enough to be diagnosed as diabetes. Uh, at that point, almost 12% of young people had pre-diabetes. And you think, well, that's not that good because that means as they get older, they're gonna tip into diabetes. Uh, but the, the, what was just reported was the new figures. It was almost 12% back in 1999, fast forward 20 years. It's now over 28% of kids in their teen years now have prediabetes. And a couple of things about this. Some people say, well, diabetes is genetic. Well, genes did not change between 1999 and now. Um, what's really changing is that our diets are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and it's mostly uh, more cheese, animal products, fast food, really coming in. And to the extent that we can get those things out and return to the healthy foods I mentioned earlier, we could turn these numbers around and we could, we could turn it around really very quickly. You know, and I was just speaking with uh, Dr. Monica Agarwal. She's a friend of the show. I was on her podcast recently and she was asking me about what it was that I ate as a child, you know, what, you know, trying to gain some insight as to why I was gaining so much weight into my adulthood. And I, I just, I remember thinking back to that menu here and it was, you know, probably some sort of a sugary cereal you know, your standard school lunch with that cardboard square piece of pizza and French fries and then milk or fruit punch or something like that. And then after school, going to grandma's house and having a hot dog, macaroni and cheese, baked beans and Lay's potato chips, her, her, what she considered to be a well-balanced meal. And then after that, uh, mom would scoop my brother and I up, take us home. And on our way, we would stop at the drive-thru, go to Burger King. And by the time I'm in the third grade, I'm already eating a, a full double cheeseburger with a big size fries and a big old drink with that. So to hear those kinds of numbers, as far as the number of kids who have prediabetes now, it's no surprise to me. And I think that as time has marched on, there are more and more kids who are eating just as I did back then. They're eating that way today. And that is, that's really setting them up for a, a dangerously unhealthy adulthood. Yeah, unfortunately that's the case. And sometimes that's because those are the foods that are available, uh, depending on where, where you live. That may be the what's most convenient. And if parents have very little time, sometimes it's easier to just pick something up at a fast food place or put a frozen pizza um, in the oven. And, and the, 
the issue with that is that the cheese, the meat, all of these things contain a lot of fat. And fat, as we've talked about in the show, has nine calories in every single gram compared with carbohydrates, which have only four. What does that mean? That means weight gain. And it also means the fat gets into the cells, causing the insulin resistance, leading to these high diabetes figures. And unfortunately, because many people don't know these facts, they think, well, okay, if I've got diabetes, it's from eating sugar. So the thing that they stop eating is the apple or the orange or the banana, but those, those had nothing to do with it. The more of those healthy fruits they eat really, typically the better. Um, and uh, schools have been in a tough bind too. They've got budget issues and so forth. And by law, they have to serve dairy products. And I wanna tip my hat to uh, Eric Adams in New York, who has really taken all of this to heart um, as the mayor and has said, we really need to have healthier foods in schools and kids should understand what a plant-based meal is. And frankly, if kids had access to plant-based meals every day, and if they learned to love those tastes, we would knock down these pre-diabetes figures and the diabetes figures, we would do it um, very, very rapidly. And that's, that's really the public health message here. And look, I can only tell you about one case study toward a healthier diet for kids. And that was what happened in my high school when I was a senior. And in one of the lunch lines, they just opened a salad bar for us. And the line for the salad bar was way longer than any of the other regular lunch lines. Like my classmates naturally gravitated toward the healthier fare. So when critics say, hey, that's crazy, Mayor Adams, kids are never going to want to eat healthy all the time. I think back to what happened. This was 20 some odd years ago at this point. And I think that today with kids being even more health conscious, that you're going to see even more students graduate toward that. So I don't think it's going to be this natural, this, this radical shift um, that a lot of people are thinking that it is. I think that if you give it an opportunity, Dr. Barnard, just based off of what I saw in high school, kids are really going to love, love, love having those healthier options. Yes. And not just at high school. We actually put this very thing to the test and we did this years ago. It was in Broward County, Florida and Broward County, uh, which is around Fort Lauderdale and so forth one of the most diverse uh, counties in America, diverse uh, economically from very economically disadvantaged to very economically disadvantaged, dis uh, um, wide range of economics, wide range of ethnicities and races. And so the um, school board there wanted to test vegan meals in schools. And so Jill Eckert from our staff went down there and the kids are all in the lunchroom and she walked around with a tray and she took a veggie burger and cut it into little pie wedges and said, who wants to try one? And so some brave kids, you know, these like eight year old kid said, I'll try one. And so he ate the little veggie burger. And then Jill gave him a sticker that said, I vegged out. And then the other kids all said, well, where'd you get that sticker? And he would say, well, that lady gave it to me. So they would all want to try the veggie burger and they would all try it and they would put on their sticker and they'd wear it proudly all day. The next day, the kids went through the lunch line and there was the sticker in the lunch line and behind it was the veggie burger. And you know what? It outsold everything, it outsold chicken nuggets and all this stuff. And so it worked with a veggie burger. We did the same thing uh, with, with chili, uh, completely vegan chili. Kids loved it. And something like beans and rice, we tried that as well. And I thought, well, that's kind of too simple. But I forgot that kids like simple. And so all of these things work. They work for grade school, middle school, high school. Here's my point that often we have the idea that kids only want absolute junk. They'll only eat candy and soda. Kids like simple things. They like simple tastes if they're there and they're offered to them. 
And it's really, really important that we make those available in our homes and in our schools. So in the standard school lunch, milk is a cornerstone of that, but by no means is dairy limited to just school lunch. I mean, dairy is an enormous industry here in the U.S. We have a few people right now wondering in the chat how the natural sugars in dairy can affect blood sugar. Well, um, dairy products do have a sugar called lactose, and lactose is a double sugar. It's two sugars stuck together. One is glucose, the other is galactose. galactose. And when you consume that, they break apart and the glucose, just as you're saying, will add to your own. The reason that's important is that some people imagine that say, soda is bad, which of course it is, um, but that milk is somehow better. But milk is a sugary, fatty, cholesterol-laden <laughs> drink too. And um, there's no reason to have it in the diet at all. So if, if you drink that carton of milk, will you have a blood sugar spike? Well, there, yeah, there, there are two problems with it. One is the sugar itself. The other is if it's whole milk, the fat that you're consuming will add to the fat in your cells, causing more and more insulin resistance. So over time, it's part of the problem. And in fact, when we look at the, the prevalence of diabetes, let's say a person's a meat eater and they decide, well, I'm not going to eat meat so often. I'm going to eat meat less than once a week. Well, the risk of diabetes does go down. And if they say, well, I'm not going to eat any meat at all uh, except for fish their risk of diabetes will go down another step. If they say, I'm not gonna eat the, the, the meats, even fish, but I'm gonna have dairy products, but no meat. Their risk goes down a little bit more, but if they get rid of the dairy and they go to a completely plant-based diet, their risk drops much, much more. Um, so yeah, dairy is part of the problem. It's not part of the solution when it comes to diabetes. Let's stick on fat here for a little bit. Maj is answering the direct question. I'm sure some other people are wondering as well. This question came in at 12.12. Maj is wondering, does eating fat itself give you an insulin spike? What, what happens is that the fat that you eat uh, goes down your esophagus, it gets into your bloodstream, it goes into the, the muscle cells, and the fat won't cause an instant, it will not cause an instant blood sugar spike usually. Um, but it could be a little bit of a delay as the fat gets into the cells, then the insulin no longer will work as well. And you'll find that your need, if you're taking insulin now because you have diabetes, your need for insulin will be higher if you have a higher fat diet. Um, it'll be lower if you're on a lower fat diet. And this is even true, not just for type two, but for type one, for people who have type one diabetes and, and they have to administer insulin because their, their body's not making it. When you're on a really low fat, healthy plant-based diet, many people discover that their insulin requirement goes way down because their own insulin resistance improves. Um, so something to think about. There you go. And we were talking about case studies with kids eating healthier. You mentioned Jill and the veggie burgers and, and me with my salad bar. Carolyn right now, one of the exam roomies in the chat said, look, my high school put in a salad bar 30 years ago, 30 years ago. And the exact same thing happened. All of her friends started eating at the salad bar. She did too every single day. So healthier options, man, just give it a try and, and see what happens. I want to take a question from Nicholas, who is wondering whether it's okay to eat rice and whole grains at every meal if you have diabetes diabetes. Yeah, it's, it's a-okay um, to do that. Um, when it comes to rice, brown rice is better than white rice. And the reason is it's got that fiber that has been removed in the white rice with the brown rice. It's still there. Intermittent fasting is all the rage. Let's talk about that for a second. Take a question from Jenny. She's wondering whether intermittent fasting can help with diabetes. I don't think it's the answer. Um, intermittent fasting uh, for many people, it's say five days of eating and then two days of reduced eating. Um, for many people, they do well with it and they like it. 
But the risk is if you know that tomorrow I'm not going to be eating very much, and so I'm going to overdo it a little bit today in preparation, or after those two days of reduced eating, I make up for it by overeating on Monday or whatever the case may be, uh, we're doing really more harm than good. And, and to me, intermittent fasting is a little bit like intermittent breathing. You know, you just kind of might want to be doing it all the time um, rather than, in other words, following a healthy meal, a healthy uh, regime really all the time uh, rather than, than uh, overdoing it some days and trying to make up for it on other days. All right, talking about overdoing it, let's take a question from Ambang here. How many carbs from whole foods can somebody with diabetes eat on a particular day? I'm going to suggest something really radical, which is don't count. If you're if you don't have type one diabetes and you don't have to say calibrate your insulin doses based on your carbohydrate, um, you don't have to count. You eat as much as you want of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, and what you'll discover is that if those are the foods that you're eating, and so it turns into oatmeal for breakfast or a bean burrito for lunch or spaghetti with a tomato sauce for dinner and lots of vegetables, the way it'll shake out is about 10% of your calories will end up being from fat. And another 10 or 15% will be from protein and the rest will be from carbohydrate. And you'll think, my goodness, that's a lot, but it's healthy, complex carbohydrates mostly that fuel your physical activity. And so uh, you, you shouldn't really have to count the carb grams. Um, nature will take care of it naturally for you. All right. Let's talk about if somebody is diagnosed with diabetes and, you know, they, they're put on medication right away. And just like Lee, who had our first question today, they're not really keen on the idea of having to take pills every single day for the rest of their life, potentially even insulin injections. So what, what is the effectiveness of eating a healthy, low-fat, plant-based diet compared to medications? Have there been studies that have pitted the two head to head? When we do our diabetes studies and people come in, they're on medication to start with. Um, almost always with type 2 diabetes, the first medicine is metformin. And a patient might be started out at 500 twice a day, and then they go up to 1,000 twice a day. And the, the doctor says this isn't enough, and so they're going to add some other medicines, and eventually they add insulin. So at this point, people hear about the work we're doing, and so they go on a diet that has no animal products at all, keeps oils really low, and that causes within the first week within the first couple of days, the fat content of their muscle cells starts to diminish. And so their natural insulin is working better. And so very rapidly, they don't need those medicines to the degree that they had before, but everybody's different. So we don't stop them. Uh, we let their doctor know that they're making these diet changes and the doctor is going to have to, to ratchet down their medication doses often really quite rapidly to make sure that their blood sugars don't fall too low. But your question then is, well, which is more powerful, the diet or the or, or the, or the medic medications. If a person is on medications, starting with metformin and adding others, it's almost a guarantee. I mean, they're just not going to get rid of their diabetes if that's, if that's the approach, because they're eating typical foods um, that, that don't really tackle the cause of the disease. When a person goes on a plant-based diet without a lot of added oils, they're now tackling the cause. They're able to reduce their use of medications, in some cases get off them completely. And we see something that we never saw before, which is diabetes sometimes going away for all intents and purposes. So from that analysis, a, a diet change is much more powerful than medications if it's the right kind of diet change. That said, don't throw your pills away or your syringes away. Tell your doctor you're doing this and let your doctor guide you off your medications when the time is right. 
Ruth is throwing an interesting hypothetical at us today. And she's wondering, she says, great, go on a whole food plant-based diet. And what if it works to a T? You lose all of your excess weight, your blood sugar comes down, but maybe it drops a little bit too low. You would just mention blood sugar being a little bit too low. Ruth is wondering if that happens, should the person then potentially look at putting on a few more pounds to kind of offset that and try to bring the blood sugar back up? Mm -mm, no, um, low blood sugar is not typically caused by, by foods that you eat. It's typically caused by the medications that a person is taking. Um, so let's say um, a person injected some insulin and their blood sugar comes down and now, and, and they're, they're, they're doing this day after day after day. And now they're suddenly on this very powerful vegan diet, but they're using the same amount of insulin. Their blood sugar is going to be too low. So that's why your doctor is going to ratchet you down on your medication. It's going to reduce the amount that you're taking. And so the diet alone uh, will not lower your blood pressure abnormally low. The one exception is there are some people who are quite sensitive to um, sugars, and to refined carbohydrates. This is not super common, but it can happen where a person has a really sugary meal and their blood sugar goes up and then it goes down and it dips down a little bit too low. But um, that, that doesn't happen to most people. If, if you're on a diet of beans and vegetables and fruits and whole grains, uh, your blood sugar should be staying in uh, really a pretty good range and will not dip too low. All right. So you're eating a healthy whole food plant-based diet. One of the nutrients you should be getting in abundance is fiber. And June is wondering how important that particular nutrient is, how, how important fiber is when it comes to improving diabetes. Very important. Uh, fiber helps you in lots of ways that, you know, it helps your digestion and it can help your body to manage the absorption of sugars to, to a degree. Uh, but here's the key. You don't have to go to the store and get a fiber supplement. Fiber comes to you naturally, it's part of fruits, it's part of vegetables, it's part of whole grains. Um, beans are the fiber champions. So if those are part of your daily routine, you'll be getting lots of healthy fiber. Now you're talking about fiber. A lot of people wonder though, if fiber can kind of slow that blood sugar spike, right? A lot of people are wondering, well, what happens when I take all of those healthy fruits and vegetables, I put them in a blender and I make a smoothie with that. Unvegan zombie question at 1218, wondering specifically about beets, but really we can talk about really any fruit, any vegetable here. Do blended beets give a blood sugar spike? Um, generally speaking, um, I think the smoothie and that kind of thing is, is okay. Um, the caveat I have is just what you're getting at is I took something that would take me a while to eat and now I blended it into something that I can drink in about 20 seconds. So it is, it is, um, a, a faster hit of sugar than you would have had, had you eaten the whole fruit. That said, I don't think, I don't think that uh, smoothies are necessarily a bad thing. Um, but be careful about what you put into it and how quickly one is consuming it. It can be a little bit more, it, it ends up being more food than you otherwise would have had. All right, everybody wants to know how long, how quickly this could work for me. You just mentioned when it came to weaning somebody off of medication, it should happen pretty quickly, but McKinley at 1221 is wondering how long it might take somebody to see their blood sugar levels normalize once they go on a whole food plant-based diet. Okay, great question. Um, if you are thinking about doing this, if you have diabetes now, what you what I would strongly encourage you to do is to, to now let your doctor know that you're doing it. Your doctor will be thrilled uh, because they know that vegan diets are the greatest thing for people with type 2 diabetes. But let your doctor know that you're doing this because, not that it's dangerous, um, but, but your doctor is going to have to deal with your medicines and bring you down on medicines at the appropriate time. Um, and that's true for blood sugar medicines. Your blood sugar is going to come down. It also can be true for blood pressure medicines. 
as your blood pressure comes down. So uh, the reason I say do it now is that for some people, this effect occurs within the first couple of days. Um, case in point, a person's on insulin, they're taking a lot of insulin and they start on this healthy diet. In some cases, their blood sugars start coming down within just a matter of days. And so you call your doctor's office, say, here's my, I, I did a finger stick, here's my blood sugar. And the doctor is going to say, okay, drop down from this level to, to this level. Um, what you don't want to do is to just kind of do all that judging yourself. So your doctor should help you with that, but, but it can happen really very fast. Um, now, how, how long does it take to get down to where you want to be? Everybody's different. It really depends on where you're starting. Let's say you've got a lot of weight to lose, maybe 100 pounds or 150 pounds you'd like to really get rid of. That takes some time for that to come down and it takes some time for the fat to get out of your cells. But start that process now, time goes by, and we see really huge results within a matter of just weeks for people. So give it a try, be patient, don't push it, but make sure that your diet is a really healthy diet. No animal products, keep the oils low and let nature take its course. All right. Now, I don't want to throw a bucket of cold water on everything that you just said, but we do get this question like we have here from Julia from time to time. Julia says, been eating a whole food plant-based diet, but my blood sugar has actually increased. What advice could you offer? Okay. Um, it really depends on, the, on a couple of details. First of all, if your blood sugar was already in the normal range and it increased a little bit in the normal range, that's okay. Things bounce around um, a little bit. But if you had an abnormal blood sugar, and you went on a whole food plant-based diet and it somehow didn't come down, the only question I would have is what's in this whole food diet? Because remember what the problem is. The problem is fat that's building up inside the cells. So if in my diet there was organic peanut butter and guacamole and oils, fat, fatty foods, that will cause the problem too. So we're talking about plant-based, vegan, no animal products, but also keep the oils really low. And that means nuts and avocados and foods with added oils. Uh, rule of thumb, if you really want to tackle your diabetes, uh, if, if you're eating fruits and beans and grains, I mean, they're all fine. Uh, same with vegetables. But if you're eating a packaged product, um, vegan pizza, uh, look at the label and favor the ones that have less than three grams of fat per serving. If you do that, what you'll discover is that the fat content, content of your diet goes way, way down. And that, that helps everything. That helps weight, that helps blood sugar, it helps blood pressure too. All right, we've talked about carbs being, uh, whole carbs being a good thing for people with diabetes. Uh, McKinley though, wondering about two specific foods here, wondering about potatoes and about oatmeal. Uh, can those be part of a healthy diet for someone who's trying to improve their blood sugar? Yeah, they sure can. Um, if you have type 2 diabetes, I would, would go ahead and have them. Um, the question really is what goes on top. You know, that innocent potato goes into the oven. If it comes out and gets butter added and cheese doodles and sour cream and all that kind of stuff, that's not good. Um, there was nothing wrong with the potato. The problem is all the, the toppings. And we kind of do that with carbs, don't we? We take butter. Uh, we, we put the butter all over the bread. We take spaghetti and we put oils and meat and cheese all over the top. So the, the carbs themselves are really innocent bystanders. So um, they're fine. Uh, one caveat, if you have type one diabetes and that's where your body's really not making insulin anymore, different people have very different uh, experiences. And for one person, oatmeal is a, it works pretty well. For another, they're gonna get more of a spike um, than they would have. And just kind of see, see what's, uh, what's right for you. 
Uh, let's see. Interesting question here from Kim. We we asked um, how quickly you might see improvement with diabetes once you adopt a whole food plant-based diet. And you talked about how fat plays a factor here even more so potentially than sugar. But Kim is wondering not just how quickly diabetes can improve, but how quickly we can see fat then be uh, eliminated from the cells once you start eating that low-fat diet. Um, we have not done enough studies to give you a really good time frame. Um, and, and the reason for that is that the magnetic resonance spectroscopy scans cost, cost $2,000 per test. Um, so, so researchers do what, what they'll normally do is they'll bring, and this is what we do, we bring in participants and we test them say at week zero, and then we'll test them again at week 16. And during that period of time, you can see the drop, but we don't test them say every day or every week to know just how rapidly it occurs. But, but here's what we do, we, here's what we do know is that uh, dr drops occur very rapidly and you can see the scanning changes within a matter of, of just a few weeks. All right, so we're talking about fat here. We have a couple of people right now in the chat wondering about a specific type of fat, talking about omega-3s. And they're wondering, one, how important are they? Two, what role do they play? And three, does somebody on a plant-based diet need to supplement with them? Okay, um, omega-3s are healthy fats. And there's one of them called alpha-linolenic acid. This will not be on the test, but alpha-linolenic acid is the one omega-3 your body really does need. Um, but no, do you need to supplement? No, you don't need to supplement because it's in foods. Um, if you get some broccoli, send it to the laboratory, you would think there's no fat in it. The laboratory will tell you, well, actually it's maybe seven or 8% of its calories are fat. And a lot of that is this special omega-3, alpha-linolenic acid. And so you don't need a supplement, you just need the, the foods that have it. Now, some people will eat very concentrated sources, seeds, nuts do have a lot of it in it. But to tell you the truth, my favorite sources are green leafy vegetables because their natural tiny traces of oils are proportionately really quite high in, in the healthy omega-3s without the excesses that could cause weight gain. Let's take a question here from Little Bits of Bliss at 1224. She says she just got a copy of your book, of Reversing Diabetes, and it says, rarely should you eat nuts. She's wondering if that even includes almonds. I'm breaking your heart, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> almonds are delicious, um, especially, you know, they salt them up and they make them smokehouse flavor, and it's pretty easy to overdo it. But yeah, um, what, you'll, what you'll discover is if you're having trouble getting your weight down, or your blood sugar is not really coming down where you want it, um, what I would suggest you do is set the nuts aside for a while um, and see how you do. Uh, and for many people, that kind of unblocks the, the, the problem. Um, one caveat to that though, um, I mean, almonds are healthy food uh, and almonds, walnuts, they're really fatty, uh, which means they're high in calories, but they're healthy. And, and one of the healthy things they bring to you is vitamin E. Vitamin E is an antioxidant. It's associated with reducing the risk of Alzheimer's. What do I do? Um, if you're at a normal, healthy weight and you want to have some of these in your diet, I suggest about an ounce per day. And an ounce is just the amount that fits in the palm of your hand without hitting your fingers. Almonds, walnuts, other kinds of nuts will, will provide that. And that's, that's healthy. Think of it, though, as an ingredient, not a snack. Because it's, if it's a snack, you'll eat the whole bag. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, don't I know. Peanuts are the downfall of me, but I, I know almonds can be for just about anybody as well. Um, speaking of almonds, uh, do the same principles apply? Someone is wondering, do the same principles apply for almond milk? Yes, they do. But if you look at the label on almond milk, you know, it's mostly water. 
and they might have some sweeteners in there or they may or they may not and so have a look when in fact when you're comparing the different non, non-dairy milks look at the fat content and especially the saturated fat content that ought to be zero or really close to zero and the one big violator here is not almond milk almond milk's gonna be fine the bad guy here is coconut milk yep coconuts uh, the coconut oil is very high in saturated fat and they will tell you all day long it's healthy um, it's natural skip it shine your shoes with coconut oil if you want to put it in your hair do not eat it it will raise your cholesterol and people should be avoiding coconut milk carolyn is asking what the name of your book was it's right here it's a uh, dr barnard's program for reversing diabetes revised edition came out just a couple of years ago i believe um i could be wrong so don't quote me on this but i believe there is a link to that right now in the show description if you're watching this on facebook or on youtube so go ahead and, and pick up a copy i can't recommend that highly enough um dr barnard we only have a couple of minutes left here on the program today and i think a lot of people are surprised uh, about the connection between blood sugar, diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. There was a study that came out not too terribly long ago that showed that if you have elevated blood sugar at middle age, you're at a higher risk for developing Alzheimer's later in life. What is the connection between the two? You're right. And it's frightening because we think, well, I'll start worrying about Alzheimer's when I'm maybe 75 and I'll take some steps to try to reduce it. And, um, the study that you mentioned showed that if you have a high blood sugar at midlife or even early adulthood, it's a predictor of Alzheimer's risk later on. And this adds to evidence. There was a Kaiser study, Kaiser Permanente, about 10,000 people. And they showed the same was true with cholesterol. High cholesterol predicts Alzheimer's risk too. And the cholesterols were taken when, when, when the participants were around 40 years of age. So there are a couple things that are going on. Uh, we have known for a long time that diabetes increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease. Overall, it, it roughly doubles the risk, um, but it also means that all of the things that threaten our blood vessels, high blood sugar, high blood pressure, high blood cholesterol, all those things that threaten our blood vessels, they don't just threaten your heart, the kidneys, they also threaten the brain. So what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And so if you've got diabetes, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be a, uh, it doesn't have to be a, a terrible sentence. What we do with diabetes is we get on a healthy diet. The diet can re improve the diabetes, sometimes make it go away, but most importantly, reduce these long-term risks, whether they're risks to the heart or risks to the brain. Uh, let's talk about uh, really quickly here. Somebody has multiple chronic conditions. Misty is wondering in particular, in addition to diabetes, about kidney disease, stage three kidney disease, whether a whole food plant-based diet might be able to help with that as well. Run, do not walk to a vegan diet. Um, absolutely. In fact, everybody who's treating people with diabetes, um, what, what, what they are thinking is, number one, I got to reduce the, the, the factors that are causing the kidney to wear out. Diabetes is one, high blood pressure is another. So we wanna get the blood pressure down, we wanna get the diabetes under control, and we've just talked about the diet to do that. The other thing is that animal protein will wear out the kidneys too. In people who have lost some kidney disease, huge Harvard study years ago made this point very strongly. In people who have lost some kidney disease due to infections, due to trauma, due to diabetes or hypertension, one of the big predictors of further loss of kidney function is animal protein. Get the animal protein out of your diet and you want to protect, you want to save those nephrons, those filter units in your kidneys. Animal protein threatens that. Getting the animal protein out of your diet will help. Um, so yes, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to do and, and all the side effects of a plant-based diet are good ones. They help our body to 
to regain its health. And the last time, this will be our final question. The last time you were on our show, it was a really popular episode where we were talking about foods that can lower cholesterol. And so we have a question that came in a follow-up from Julia, who was wondering whether it's possible to have cholesterol that is too low. She said she's been advised that hers is borderline low because it's 116. So just generally speaking here, not speaking specifically to Julia, but is it possible to have cholesterol that really needs to come up a little bit to be at a healthy range? No, um, your, that cholesterol is fine. Um, your doctor is envious because it's lower than your doctor's, um, but no, <laughs> that, that cholesterol is perfectly fine. And if you live in Omaha, that's a really low cholesterol. If you, if you lived in rural China, that would not be a big surprise uh, because people who are eating lots of rice and tofu and so these kinds of things, and they're not eating much dairy or meat or whatever, they very often have very low cholesterol levels along, those, along that range. So um, the, only, the only exception I would say is there are some people who, have, who are very sick. Um, let's say their liver is completely shot and they're not able to make cholesterol. In those rare cases, you'll see a low cholesterol that's a sign that they were otherwise sick. But um, if you got that way from a healthy plant-based diet, it's just your body is saying, I'm making the cholesterol you need. You don't need any more. So if you thought you needed to go to the store and get a cholesterol pill, forget it. You can just brag about your good, healthy cholesterol that you've got. This was a really popular episode. So many people joined us live on Facebook and YouTube when we recorded this. And it makes me think that there are a lot of people who need this help. Talked about at the beginning of the show, the 11 million plus people right now in the United States who have diabetes. That's just the United States. And then the millions, literally millions of others who have diabetes, but have no clue. They just feel sick. Their blood sugar raging out of control, but they don't have that diagnosis. So they don't know that they need to take these steps to improve their health. So what we want to do is get this information to those people. Let's help them out, help them lower their blood sugar. And one of the easiest ways you can help is by subscribing to this podcast if you haven't already done so. So please head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever shows are available. Look for the exam room podcast by the Physicians Committee and hit that subscribe button. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. And that truly does help to make the world a healthier place. And if you can carve out some time on a Wednesday, please join us for the exam room live. We start at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And we would love for you to join us, join all of the other exam roomies, get in this big old healthy community, and possibly even get your question answered right then, right there on the spot by our experts. But if you can't join us live, don't worry about it. We've got you covered as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Message me there with your question for the doctor's mailbag, and we will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And I can't wrap things up today without again saying thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for making this show possible. Their support of the Exam Room Podcast and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs all around the world. And the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, it supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on the love that Greg had for animals 
and they're doing it by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while also emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. And you can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. And while you're there, subscribe to their newsletter so you can keep up with all of the amazing things that they're working on. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.